This podcast is proudly sponsored by Virtuous. Now, giving is a very deeply personal thing, and they believe that your fundraising should be too. This is actually something we talk about a lot on this very podcast in terms of how can we grow, improve, and optimize giving and generosity. So traditional impersonal fundraising tactics often alienate donors and create a distance between them and the impact that they want to have. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. And I have to say, I think it's a great product. I've referred multiple nonprofits and charities over there in the past and continue to do so in the future because I believe in the people and the product and I just think it's a really good modern piece of fundraising focused software. So I recommend you check it out. And if you are interested in finding out more, you can go to virtuous.org slash generosity. That is virtuous, V-I-R-T-U-O-U-S dot org slash generosity. Hey there and welcome. I am Riley Landenberger, and today's episode is a good old fundraising chat with T. Clay Buck, founder and chief strategist of Tactical Fundraising Solutions. Clay recently completed his certificate in philanthropic psychology through the Institute of Sustainable Philanthropy, um, and he joined Brady to share his biggest takeaways from the course and why exactly he decided to take it in the first place. Clay brought in some really great insights and even some really cool analogies to this discussion that emphasize the importance of being human in your work. But first, you'll get to hear the story behind Clay's name, which is actually a great example of why it's important to capture the true names of your audience. So without further ado, I will hand it on over to Brady. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Oh, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Clay. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Brady. I'm happy to be here. All right, so we're gonna have a good old fundraising chat. It's gonna be <laughs> wide ranging. I don't know entirely where it's gonna go, but it should be fun. But before we dive into some of that stuff, uh, I've been meaning to ask you this for like years now. But you go by T. Clay Buck, and I have no idea what the T stands for and kind of its origin story. Tell me where the T comes from. It stands for the <laughs> the capital T the. That's that's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and Brady, I got to tell you, your tone has changed now that you're in Texas, a big old fundraising chat. I you think know, I'm just trying to fit is, in with the locals, you know, I think it's rubbing off on you as, <laughs> as a transplanted Southerner. I I'm, I'm here for it. I support it. <laughs> um, no, I it, weird. Uh, my whole family, this is it's family thing has always used their middle names. Both of my parents did really. Um, yeah. On, and, and oddly on both sides uh, of the family. So kind of oh. a family tradition that, uh, we use middle names. The T is for Thomas. Um, okay. And um, did you ever go by Thomas or Tom no, or never? No, never have. Never huh. have. And um, I'm pretty I've been you know pretty loud about that on, you know, capturing names in fundraising and in the sector, because if somebody calls the house or if I get right. a letter or something that's addressed to Thomas, then I know they bought my name. I didn't give it to them because I would never for something personal, fill it out with Thomas professionally i would you know um credit card things like that sure right. 
Um, but God forbid you get Tom. And I get that a lot. No Can I talk way. to Tom? Nope. There's nobody here by that name. <laughs> this is literally how I respond. So like from birth, you were being prepared to analyze the data habits. Of <laughs> probably non-profits. so. You were yeah, created for this purpose. So. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So is, is yeah. that like a, a Southern thing as well? Or is it just a family thing to go by the it's middle just name? A, it's a family thing. My dad was from Pennsylvania. My mom is from Kentucky. So, oh, so, you know, it's not even a regional thing. No it's kind well, of a thing, oddly. But, you know. Eh. Well, getting it to know you. It was hard growing up with, though, you know, because oh, like, right. you're the only one in the class that doesn't uh, use their first name and you, you get people that no, your real name is thomas uh, okay <laughs> you can call me that if you want but <laughs> it's it's funny getting to know you a little bit over the the past few years just as as clay just the idea of you being thomas now is right. like i can't picture it it no, just exactly. seems like right. a different person so okay right, right, right. well there we go we unpacked uh that mystery uh so now we're going to talk about some other mysteries and really like why do people actually give so uh why, well, the reason why i reached out for this podcast was you were sharing I recently completed a certificate in philanthropic psychology, uh, which is awesome. You know, so Jen Shang is kind of the originator of a lot of this research in the Institute of Sustainable Philanthropy. Uh, We're working with Jen on multiple projects. We've got a research fellow at Next After, actually, to implement and test some of those concepts. So I've been learning a lot of these concepts as well. And I could easily ask Jen about this stuff, and (laughs) I will. But she's next level. Like, she's brilliant, which isn't to say you're not brilliant. But she's like kind of created a lot of the work in that field. And so I was like, I'd like to hear what Clay's experience was and some of the things that Clay took away from that course and what he learned. And I can get Jen's perspective some other time, but I'm really interested to dive deeper on the kind of that whole experience and like sure. what you learned and why you went about it. So maybe start with the why of like, why did you want to pursue that certificate? And then we'll get into more of like the what you learned. I mean, and, and you're right. You know, this is this is this is Jen's work. This is what she does. And I always feel oddly saying Jen. I feel like it should be Dr. Shang. You know? Yeah, Dr. Shang uh, or something more right. formal. That's right. Um, and she is just a delightful, wonderful, lovely human. Yeah, and truly. so smart and so good at um, conveying this stuff. Right. This is her work. I've had you know a 12 week seminar and written a paper, so my knowledge is you know centimeters deep compared to hers right i appreciate using the metric system as well (laughs) you're welcome you're welcome (laughs) um um, why did i want to do it i so i started fundraising in the late 90s and i was very fortunate to my very first boss the first person who brought me into the profession was very encouraging and supportive of afp what was it was nsfre at the time and and introduced me very early on to there is research, there is knowledge, um, there is information out there. But, you know, we had Cy Seymour's designs of fundraising. We had Jerry Panis's early books, you know, at the time. We did not have the Internet was new for crying out loud. <laughs> um, um, I was one of the one of the first 20 beta testers for an online giving platform that we all thought was just what is happening? You know? How? Right, right, right. What is this? <laughs> I remember Witchcraft. I do remember so off topic, but I do remember getting the very first online gift because we had tested that thing. And is it going to break? <laughs> and what does a website do? And, yeah. you know, and this is the days when you would build a website and you'd print it out to see how it looked. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway. Um, Cool. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I've always, I've always had a, a desire and wanted to stay on top of 
what is being published and what's mm. being written and what the studies are showing. I meant to be an academic um, <laughs> and just life took me in different directions. So there's, there's mm. sort of a frustrated academic in me as well, who mm. desperately wants to, to, uh, you know, carry the PhD uh, letters, but I, I'm too old and tired to do the work now. <laughs> I, I feel um, you. I get some of that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm forever. I try to do one thing a year that really challenges me or adds new knowledge. And I had been, I had seen that one come online. I had talked to others who had done it in the first cohort mm-hmm. um, who just raved about it. And the whole concept of, you know, why do donors donor <laughs> um, <laughs> was interesting to me. And this was a, a, a yet a different perspective on it that I, yeah. that I really wanted to dig into and find out. And, and here's where I champion the course and go, if you, if you'll never have the time, make the time to do it. I, I'm just a huge advocate for if we could get every fundraiser <laughs> through it. Right. It is truly, truly um life-changing yeah i think it's fair in that case because it really does change your perspective or at least add to your thinking on how we do what we do and why we do what our what we do and what our donors do yeah so well let's let's unpack some of that because i mean we've experienced some of the same things you know working with them and their team but i'd be interested to know like what were some of maybe the the concepts or ideas or things that were kind of like life-changing to a degree or like really shifting perspective what were some of the things that you took out of it um that you were really intrigued by um, the structure of the course starts, they've structured it very well because it starts at a kind of a base level and then builds. And by the time you get to the end, you have layered all of these topics on top of each other because you start with, you know, donor identity and how do donors see themselves and what are general identities, things like in-groups versus out-groups, hmm. you know, like like um, an, an in-group is a group where we all feel like we belong to, like a student hmm. at a university or something like that. And by the time you get through the course, you're getting into, you know, how does a person you know, identify their true values, who their what their true self is, <laughs> and can we as fundraisers ultimately get to that philanthropy as part of a donor's true self. So there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack (laughs) and there's a lot to dig into. Um, I think the thing that stood out for me the most, and I think, I think most everybody that's been through it would say the same thing is the, the studies that have been done on the identities of a moral person, how somebody who thinks of themselves as a moral person, um, and I mean, there's nine adjectives that that the, that are the common traits of a moral person: kind, thoughtful, generous, um, etc. And that has stuck with me so much because of the concept of, regardless of who you are and what you do, hmm. people, most people, aren't walking around thinking, well, you know, minus minus those nagging voices in our head that you know that get into imposter syndrome or you know whatever you know that are the nagging negative voices. But most people aren't walking around thinking, "I am an immoral bad person. <laughs> I am a terrible person. I am Vlad the Impaler." You know, <laughs> most people are walking around thinking of themselves with this moral identity of, "I am kind. I am generous. I am thoughtful. I am hardworking." And framing the philanthropic activity from that perspective, you know, we always say fundraising isn't about, fundraising is about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about relationships that yield money, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, framing the concept that if we reinforce that identity with a donor, and in a way, it's kind of our responsibility to do so, that, that if we assume that Every gift is made from some placement of a donor saying, I'm a kind, thoughtful, generous 
person. Mm -hmm. And these are the kinds of things that kind, thoughtful, generous people do. We Mm -hmm. rescue animals. Mm -hmm. We support education. We, you know, reframing that identity back at them so they see themselves reflected back to themselves in their philanthropy, to Mm -hmm. me, was just kind of mind-blowing of, boy, it really changes how we communicate and how we think about that donor relationship to the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I know one of the, it's been a hugely valuable engagement so far, but it's been really challenging because, I mean, we think that we're all about donors and empathy and understanding and, you know, positioning and messaging in ways that, you know, help donors and, you know, giving is good. And all those things are true. And I don't think we're not, it's not like we're not doing those things, but there is this whole other level that exists in fundraising and exists in humans that feels like we're barely scratching. Like maybe we kind of like prick a nerve accidentally sometimes, but like if you peel back like layers and layers and get really deep inside the core of humans, giving is so transformational. And like we say those words and I hear them at conferences, but But what does it mean? Right. And then I just feel like, yeah, we actually do fall uh, actually like quite short of what we say and we limit the power of of giving, of giving. And then where it's been great is to actually run some tests because some of it can sound quite, you know, wishy-washy if you're more like direct response, annual fund kind of is like, okay. So you're saying like, don't have this like high urgency, give now, like all the things that we've tested and proven. And it's like, well, yeah, that maybe gets a gift in this scenario, but what does it do in the mind of the donor? What does it do in their heart? Like, what does it mean down the road? And then we have seen actually the softer, more communal type language and, you know, the, the, the bondedness and like, would you consider like softer, like increasing response? And we're like, what is going on? Right. Like, right. Where did we learn this? No one taught us this, but it's, it's very like nuanced. Oh, it's, it's there's so much for us to still learn. That's why I'm so intrigued by it. And why I wanted to have you kind of unpack some of it because it's, it's so deep. It is so deep. It is so deep. And there's so much you can dig into because you can look at technique and best practice and go, you have all of the elements. You're, I mean, direct mail guy here, right? right. Your letter is four pages long. It is 14 point font. You have, <laughs> it reads on a sixth grade or less the flesh game K and it is, it hits all the marks and it falls flat because we miss the humanity. And this, this is, this is the, the course really drove this home for me. Um, sometimes you forget it in your career because you yeah. get so into the best practice that you forget. No, the reason that we're here is it, this is about, this is about humanity. And, and I don't, I don't want to touch on controversial topics here, <laughs> but I think looking at fundraising through the lens of philanthropic psychology, we have to take the idea that donors give because fundamentally on some level, whatever the higher level motivation may be, you know, I get a benefit or it's a transactional thing. Underneath it all is this psychology of I am a good, kind, moral person who does these things Mm -hmm. because Brady, we see this again and again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the reports coming out on what happened during, during with fundraising during the pandemic and every, you know, one report says 4%, one report says 6%, who knows what giving USA will say when it comes out. But at the end of the day, we're going to see giving went up during the pandemic because Mm -hmm. we, we see it during hurricanes. We see it during floods. We saw it in Vegas where I live during, during the October one, um, horrific Mm. shootings where a community that you're saying is so depressed and downtrodden and things are so awful that this is a terrible time to fundraising and then donors going to donor and they step (laughs) up and give in droves in ways because at underneath it is this, 
this caring, the psychology of who I am as a person. And I don't want, I as a person don't want to see someone else in pain, someone else suffering. I need agency and I need, I need to do something about it. And so they give regardless yeah, totally. of what we'd have been playing with the phrase, like donors gonna donor yeah, because they are, regardless of what we as fundraisers are going to do, donors are always going to find a way to give in some way that is going to surprise us. This podcast and episode is proudly sponsored by Virtuous, and they would like you to know about an upcoming event on April 14th and 15th, 2021. They are hosting the Responsive Nonprofit Summit. Now, this is a free two-day virtual learning experience for forward-thinking nonprofit fundraisers and leaders like yourself, hosted by Virtuous. You'll hear from the latest in fundraising and marketing to in-the-trenches case studies, get different ideas and connections you need to grow, not just in 2021 and beyond. Uh, It's an event I've attended in the past. They get some great speakers and do a great job uh, of having a really good user experience, attendee experience, so I suggest you check it out. If you would like to check it out or register today, you can save your free seat by going to virtuous.org slash generosity virtuous.org slash generosity. Hope to see you there. What's been cool kind of like learning through these types of things is it's kind of giving some language and some more academic rigor to things that maybe like I thought but didn't necessarily know because I know like one of the early things for me in just university taking a psychology course, you know, like there's Maslow's hierarchy of need. Right. And then you figure like, oh, like in theory, people don't really give, you know, until they achieve all these other things. And it's like, well, that's not true because we know people give without achieving all those other things. And so it's more like, you know, this book by Viktor Frankl, Mountain Search for Meaning, of saying, like, look at the generosity of spirit and kindness and and giving in, like, concentration camps where they do not have the hierarchy of needs met. And yet they still do this. It's it's man's person's search for purpose that is most innate and most essential. And we see that now in, like, you know, generosity. And they're, they're like, using other, like, again, it's nothing new under the sun. They're just kind of translating a lot of the deeper human things into our space, which is really, really interesting. And what else is we've seen, like, just by sheer testing and optimization, without even really knowing, we've been uncovering and finding the same things, right? So uh, how we design and and structure emails and, like, a lot of the stuff that we've just tested our way into without knowing all the language. Now, when we, like, share it with Jen and their team, they're like, oh, yeah, here's what you're actually doing. We did not mean to do it. You know, it's just we've been testing so much that we've uncovered accidentally so much of these things that are innate within humans around human connection and empathy and you know, being wired for giving and things like that. It's, it's really, really interesting stuff. Which I think really does lead us to, with, with exactly what you, what you just said, you tested into it. And I, I love that you use that phrase, right? We tested into it and then find that it's a principle. It's, I don't know, that's my, my latest thought process. Fundraising is, was, and always has been about we and us and ours and community. Hmm. It's, it has always been about I, as donor, see an issue and I want to be a part of it because I see this problem or this suffering or this. And when it when when we're priming that donor identity of kind, generous, thoughtful, all of those things. Right. And sharing the truth of what what those challenges and problems are that we are out there to solve. It's it it becomes an equality to it. Right. Yeah. It's donor plus beneficiary. It's both of them lifting each other up and and in a togetherness. Right. I think this is the next stage of this is is how how creating this 
Hmm. What's I don't know what the, I don't even have the right words for it yet, but yeah. it's it's a thing we're going to talk again in five years and find yeah. that we've got data and psychological research behind it to show yeah. that it's it's always been about the goodness of humanity in some mm. ways. Well, and the the uh, so we're, we're working with the research fellow to kind of come up with a new like welcome series of sorts. So, like, what are some of the first emails? And trying to drive at like loyalty and the drivers mm-hmm. of that, like trust, satisfaction, you know, commitment and communal orientation. And just like, just even the, the framework that they have and use is so different to say like, what should we try to do in this email to build trust? Well, here's drivers of trust. And how do we create an email that, you know, where so much of it's like, man, I can't tell you how many emails I've written or suggested people written or write that aren't really tethered to that strong of a through line of like, what's the you know, emotion or the higher level concept that I'm trying to impact in their heart and mind. I mean, other than like make them feel good or bad or need or something like there's this deeper driver. And again, we're accidentally doing it all the time. And I think, you know, good fundraisers, writers, whoever figure that out over time. And especially if you're testing, but to have more of this clear concept and pathway at least gives us a framework to create and now do a lot more testing. Cause I do think we do need to do a lot more testing of you know, the, the ideas of how does this play out in the real world? Cause we often do see a gap, right? I agree. I, I do agree. And have we over technical ourselves? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, <laughs> that was a guess, no, right? we were and just I having this conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry for those folks that are, are, that are listening because <laughs> to see your face with that emphatic, yeah, I'm all, okay, that's an agreement. <laughs> well, it's just, it's 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 timely because we I've just spent the afternoon talking with like our marketing director and our president about the same type of thing around welcome series and just like we are way overcomplicating some of this stuff, you know. It's about getting the humanity out there. Yeah. And and quite honestly, and I've got no data on this. <laughs> and I'm gonna upset a lot of people by saying this, and I'm gonna make some others cheer by saying, I honestly don't know if it matters if it's a handwritten note or an auto-generated email. Mm -hmm. What matters is the humanity of, wow, Brady, you just did something amazing. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And here's the impact that you had. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's what this is, you know, and and yet we can over-technical ourselves into I love the concept of the donor journey. It, it, absolutely. We need right. to be thinking about it. We weren't thinking about it in those terms 20 years ago, but the donor journey is nothing more than priming and reaffirming these yeah. psychological principles mm-hmm. of who Brady, you are as a donor, what you have done through that giving. And then if your, if your gift was a momentary choice in, in the, in a moment of concern and passion and you don't renew. Okay. And your your wife, on the other hand, though, really believes we start to by, by by bringing that humanity into it, the psychology of it into it. I think we start to get a to get truer and deeper relationships. You know. Yeah, I I, I do think there's something in that for sure. Where um, the technical side, the technique side, uh, and and I mean we're we're guilty. I think any consultant, trainer, data oriented person is guilty to some degree. Um, where like we do teach here's how to have your 14.5 font and your four, and that is valuable. That is all true, but, but yeah, exactly. Here's how to format an email and here's how to structure a donation page and like hugely useful, but there's so much more like beyond that. And that's what we were talking about in terms of like these, even like welcome series of like what we're starting to develop is like, 
50 email series. It's just like, let's take all the best content that we know people love and respond to and like that they know uh, communicates the, the impact that they're having from the past. And these new people haven't, they don't know these stories. They haven't seen this type of content. Let's just give it to them every seven days. You know, right. all we're trying to do is just engage people, let them know. And so just why do we do, why do we have to contain a welcome series to, to 30 days and six emails or whatever it is? You know, we come up with these constraints that it's like, hold on, who imposed these on us at all? Who says we have to do one email a month or you know what I mean? These types of things and being able to step back and be like, what are we trying to do for donors? You know, get back to the humanity thing. And then are we doing that? And ideally, how can we measure that? You know, that's, yeah. It's, 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 you just made me think of something differently in a way that I haven't thought of it before. Um, and I, I speak better in analogies and metaphors than I do. Oddly, right? You know, I'm kind of <laughs> known for being a data person a bit, but, you know, I do better with analogies and metaphors. Um, th think about music, right? Learning music. Mm -hmm. And what do kids learn? Or what does any first level musician learn, right? Scales, mm. the music theory. And any good musician now still practices by running scales mm -hmm. and running the basics and getting the, the I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, pianists getting the fingering down, all right. of that stuff. But you get the basics down and you learn the scales and then you create a symphony yeah. that moves people to tears. I think sometimes we mm. forget in our best practice and our technique in, in all of mm. the things that we know to be true and have tested and, and uh, uh, analyzed in fundraising, our ultimate goal is to get, to get to the symphony of the relationship between the donor and the beneficiary. Mm. I like that a lot. Well, and, the, and the, the same kind of thing, right? If you, if you practice those over and over and over and over again, which you should do, then it allows you the, the freedom to like, you know, do jazz where you can just like respond on the fly, you know, but like you can't just start doing jazz. You have to have basics and things like that. And I, I think that that's a really good analogy because I, I just know for us at, at Next After, again, not by any means have we figured out everything about digital because that is a massive, massive ocean. But it does feel like, OK, Facebook ads and email, like we've done a lot of research and we do understand. That's why we wanted to engage their team of saying there, there's got to be more. And we have a lot of the techniques and those will continue to evolve. But we know the biggest thing is like the messaging and how do we connect with the donor? And that's where we're trying to go deeper. And that's really what a lot of this is about, which is really, really um, fascinating, you know, stuff. Um, uh, you, you know, um, Stephen Screen at Better Fundraising Company, Jen Love at Agents of Good. Um, I, I applaud the two of them because they champion so much bringing vulnerability into mm. fundraising. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm. bringing vulnerability into anything is hard, but I honestly, I honestly do think that's where the technique and best practice becomes the magic. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, okay. It's a 50 email series and we have tested this multiple ways and this is going to work. And again, you can get one shop that does it and it falls flat and it's terrible. And another who really brings some humanity and vulnerability into yeah. it. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, yeah. That's where, the technique and the magic is, is through that connection. Yep. No, you're right. And that's where the question that we always get on emails, like, well, how many emails should I send? And it's an impossible <laughs> question to answer, right? Because one organization can be great at, you know, vulnerability or driving trust or, you know, whatever they might be doing. And one organization could suck at it. And you both send one email or you both send six or whatever it is and get totally different results. And it's like, it's just, it's a question that you literally cannot answer, but it does show our mindset right now of like, give me the, give me the playbook, give me the right. technique. And yes. Hey, I'm sending four emails. You told me to send four emails. 
And there is something in just email volume. There is a, it is a factor. When you Absolutely. Need, right. So like, again, but it has to evolve beyond that. So this is, this is good. This, I feel like this is like therapy and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, these things bit. are yeah, crystallizing. This is good. <laughs> I'm also I'm also laughing because, you know, these, these things keep occurring to me as we talk and my Gen X uh, peers are going to laugh at me at this because I'm sitting here going, we learned nothing from Dead Poets Society. You know? <laughs> How do you chart a poem? Oh, captain, my captain, you know, <laughs> get up on the, the table, get up on the desk. Uh, yeah. it's not it's not as good on a podcast when you do that but uh i uh, might be on my <laughs> desk right now and nobody would know nobody that's, knows that's exactly. kind of sad it's all right well sad. we kind of circled around and devolved maybe, maybe i'll try to bring it back in uh, before we talk about a few other things but like <laughs> what what's maybe like one like uh, concept or key takeaway that like you had that you think is maybe a little bit more practical because we've talked a lot you know ethereal and things like that but like What's something people listening or doing fundraising that that they could kind of like do or explore that you think is really important based off what you learned in that course? I really do think it comes it comes down to the to to priming the the, the phrase that that Jen uses all the time and that you learn through the courses about priming the identity and others mm. reinforcing the identity. Um, and the more we can take that back to the donor, mm. it's not just thank you for your gift. It's your action was kind, your action was generous, your action was, you know, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. that we allow the donor to see themselves reflected back through the work with the beneficiary, you know, because we, we tend to go to, we got to report back to donors how their money was used. Uh, we want to, re we want to reflect back to them who they are. Yeah, by believing in a world that fewer people are hungry, and more dogs have homes. And, you know, there's scholarships for students and, 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 you know, mm -hmm. that, that it's not just you did this for this beneficiary and therefore you are the hero of the story. It's yeah. because you believed in this, this thing over here happened. Yeah. Well, and, and th yeah. that type of concept of reporting too is just a further, it's a better version of transactional fundraising. Correct. Right. Where that's where a lot of it is. And again, it's not like, oh, you do transactional fundraising. How dare you? Like, we need to have some sense of like, no, there's time and a place. Not everything's going to be perfect. But we were doing kind of very transactional fundraising without the impact reporting of saying, here's what you have done. So like being able to report back is good. But to your point, getting even further beyond that of just saying like, yes, some people for sure, some people really want to know what is the exact, you know, outcome of this type of thing. But all people want to have that bigger sense of identity of like, yeah, I'm a kind, generous caring person and maybe that's in an impact report maybe it's not you know right. uh that's a that's a really good thing for i think everyone to keep in mind and maybe it's not even an impact report it's a quick email that says hey just so you know we fed 50 people today thanks yeah, yeah, yeah. totally like and we get so wound in what does the infographic look look like yeah. in our impact report and i've read five different yeah. studies that show you need this type of picture hey how about just a quick email yeah. How about hop on your iPhone and just record a quick video and send it out to five donors and say, hey, I'm out here in the field. Um, and I just wanted you to know, like, we're delivering food today because of you. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that, you. you know? That's, that's going to be one of my, my takeaways from this is just, again, like, keep it like if you know what's um, what's true and what's good, keep it simple and focused on that. I think that's really, really important. Oh, that's good. If you know what's 
What did you say? If you know, I don't, it's I don't good even know. I'll have to listen keep back. it simple and focused. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like what that. you just said. Yeah. yeah, I almost like I wanted to tweet it, and yeah, it's good. I'll have to play that back. back and listen to it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, well, thanks for sharing some of uh, you know your experience, and, and maybe like you know a year from now when we have more experiments and and you've started exploring and implementing these concepts, we'll hop back in and maybe we'll know a little bit more. But this is very much like early stage. You know, a couple folks exploring areas that honestly I haven't spent too much time exploring. So thanks for. Being vulnerable and sharing some of your experience oh, is great. Yeah, of course. Um, I want to move into some kind of like rapid fire, first part kind of fundraising okay. stuff, and then second part just kind of some random stuff. Okay. Um, but looking at uh, 2020, you know, what's a standout idea or insight that you can pull from from the past year or, or 2020? Well, we can blow up uh, what we've done before. Hmm. We, we don't have to do events. We don't have to do emails. We just got to get the story out. We just yeah. got to get the message out. Um, uh, Dan Pallotta, um, used the expression of, of like, uh, oftentimes nonprofits or not just nonprofits, but humans will be in a, a prison and we mm-hmm. think we're locked in, but really the door only locks from like the inside or outside. And you can just push the door open. We haven't even tried pushing the door, open, but we've created a jail cell for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's true. A lot of times fundraising marketing of like, who says you have to do these things, yeah. you know? That's a good one. I'm, the older I get, the more tempered I get on I'm releasing my whole galas are awful. And <laughs> people like to exercise their philanthropy that way. But you know what we've learned? We can do a whole lot of different things. Um, and we can do it without having to wear a suit and tie and go into the office every day. Yeah. Yeah. So let's keep that. Yeah. Well, that's like figure out what is good and true about the gala you know yeah. and it's like uh, there's often great storytelling at galas. You get to meet other yeah. people and it's very social. It's fun. Yeah. Like take the good parts of what makes a gala and let's not forget about those. Cause those are key things about connecting donors to causes. And, but you don't have to do it in the context of a gala. You I know, know? Right. exactly. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but I watch nonprofits. <laughs> I watch nonprofits do zooms from their program delivery. Like literally here, we're just going to pop a zoom. Come join us. We're sitting here, you know, doing right. our program and donors are like chiming in, you know, and like suddenly I am virtually, but virtually a part of the program. Like, yeah, let's learn from this. Let's do something different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We had um, the CEO of Girl Effect on, on the podcast and just saying, like, how are you connecting with donors in this time? And that was, they were just like, yeah, we're just doing like Zoom calls from the field and donors love it. And it's do. like, we're just going to keep doing these because it's super easy sure. on our end. You know, sure. we just fire up a Zoom link and hey, here we are. And it's great. And are there a whole bunch of donors that didn't love it and are anxious for the coffee meeting to return? Yep. Okay. Yeah. We'll get there. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Breathe. All right. We got this. That wasn't, that wasn't quite as rapid fire, but that was good though. It's still I'll try good. to stay focused. I'm sorry. All right. So maybe back to, uh, I was going to say your wheelhouse, but that's putting mm-hmm. you in a box. I don't want to put you in a box, but that's speaking of data, what's one of the biggest mistakes that you see nonprofits make with their data? Not treating it as an asset. Mm, that's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Yeah. It's a huge asset. I'm resisting the need to expound because no, this must be rapid fire. No, no, it, expound just a little bit. Data is an asset. It is as valuable as your, your rent, your electricity, your equipment, your staff. Mm-hmm. It, it is an asset. And we don't take good enough care of it. And in the United States, we are going to get, I'm nodding emphatically for those listening at home. <laughs> um, we are going to get federal security privacy legislation here at some point very mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. And it is going to force us to do what we haven't done, which is treat our data like a protected asset mm-hmm. and take care of it and let it work for us and with us. Mm-hmm. Great. That's awesome. Um, what's one thing you or your clients uh, need to stop doing uh, this next year? <sighs> Worrying. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. spending three months out of the year worrying about what we're going to do and just doing do something. It. Yeah. Uh, it also goes to the, the standout lesson from 2020. Try it. Hmm. Be willing to fail. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen is that you lose budget and that stinks. It totally stinks. And it's hard for a nonprofit, especially smaller ones to do. But the worst thing that you can do is fail and then have to try again. Just get nimble and stop worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's great. I, don't, I won't expand either because it's supposed to be rapid fire, but that's great. What's, <laughs> what's one thing that you want to do more of in 2021? Uh, personally, um, like work a little less, Mm -hmm. uh, with all of us working from home, it's very tempting. It's very easy to let those, uh, lines blend. Yeah. Lose office time versus home time. So uh, a little more relaxation, a little more step away. Um, but I think also 21 is a little bit more about grace, patience, Mm. kindness. Yeah. We can, Where can we, we can find those spots? Because there's a lot going on. Always use use that. One thing I've been doing recently is just like in my truck before I go into the office, just taking a minute, you know, five minutes. Maybe I read something. Maybe I don't. But that's made such a big difference. Yeah. And I know, you know, that mindfulness isn't something that I've just like people have talked about that all the time, whether you pray or do something else. But it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, man, it's it's amazing, actually, how big of a difference it does just to take those little moments before you get into little things like that. You know, that's that's been it's been a big one. All right. Uh, Shouldn't say this on a podcast, but stop listening to podcasts. Turn off the phone. <laughs> go breathe real air. Stop listening you know? to other podcasts. There you, go. You know? <laughs> there you go. No, really. I mean, shut, shut the digital down for a minute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a good one. All right. More rapid fire. A tool, yep. website, or app that you are loving these days. Uh, I, at the moment, it's Clubhouse. Oh, okay. Kind of liking it. Hopping on the bandwagon. Okay. Yep. Some interesting conversations. Kind of cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, best restaurant in Las Vegas. I, well, it's been a while since we've been out. So I, Oh, that's true. Sorry. It's tough. This There's, a, um, I got, I should have prepared for that one. Or maybe most there, underrated or something like that. There's so many good ones. I know that's the problem. Um, there's, there's, there's so many good ones. I can't pick one. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm thinking probably Pizzeria Manzu, which is great. just this phenomenal place. It's just great. It's great. There you go. Uh, what's an organization that you admire, love, or respect? Um, right now, uh, a little bit of shameless plug. Uh, I just recently joined the board of Nevada SPCA, mm. um, which went through a really, really ugly patch. A mm. Really ugly patch about two years ago. New executive director, new board. I'm now the second class quote unquote, of the new board. Um, and we're turning this organization around. I'm super impressed, super proud. Um, really, really happy to be a part of it. Awesome. Good for you. Well, and, and sticking on the theme of animals, I, I know you're a big uh, dog guy. Sure. So what's, what's the type of dog that you like, you wish you had, or maybe you'll get next? Uh, I have Labrador retrievers. I will always have Labrador retrievers, <laughs> rescue labs. We might go to, you know, a Labradoodle maybe, mm. but labs, the thing about labs, they'll do whatever you want to do. Oh, we're eating now. Okay. Oh, we're sleeping now. Okay. Well, we're running now. Okay. Like, really? They're so easy going. Hmm. Okay. There is cool. one on my feet as we speak. Uh, there you go. We uh, we hung out with some friends in in Austin. They have two burner doodles. Oh, uh, and so we have a burner, and they're like, "You got to see our burner doodles." It's the like burner to their faces. Oh. Yeah, they're they're pretty Talk cool. Talk about donor psychology. <laughs> like, get a burner doodle to ask, oh. and anybody will do anything. <laughs> Even if you don't work with dogs, just throw it in you there. You won't <laughs> care. That face just kills you. 
There you go. There's test idea. Uh, burn a doodle right, face. Right, there right, you go. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Clay, for doing hey, my this. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Where, where can people find out more about you and your work? <laughs> yeah. Talking about turning off the digital. Uh, I'm on Twitter an awful lot at T Clay Buck. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, T Clay Buck, um, <laughs> or on my website at tcbfundraising.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, good luck out there in, thank in you. Las Vegas. Thank you so much for listening to the Generosity Freak Show brought to you by our friends at Virtuous, the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships with all of their donors. Be sure to subscribe to all future episodes at generosityfreakshow.com or search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, other platforms that start with S or wherever you get your pods. Now, the Generosity Freak Show is a production of Next After, where we combine the perpetual learning of a fundraising research lab, the practical application of a digital-first agency, and the rigorous instruction of a training institute to decode what works in fundraising and make it accessible to as many organizations as possible. You can learn more about the work that we do and get free evidence-based fundraising resources at nextafter.com. Now, this show would not be possible without a few folks, including our mixologist, Jacob Hill, producers Riley Landenberger and Nathan Hill, and the chief visionary behind it all, Tim Kuchuriak. So thank you so much again for listening. And no matter where you are or what you're doing right now, I hope you're having a great day.